Welcome. This is Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And tonight, on my 49th episode, I have QB coach and owner of Pinnacle Football Academy, Mr. Bryce Coots. How's it going, Coach? Good, Coach. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Anytime. You're a returning guest. I had you on my first episode of, of Season 2 last year, and we talked about the evolution of quarterback mechanics and really cool stuff. You uh, took a deep dive, helped me out a lot with uh, the new age mechanics. But for, for the people that are, are new to Bryce Coots and, and didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, can you give my audience a little bit of a quick refresher on, on who you are, where you're from, where you coach, all that kind of good stuff? Okay, yeah. So I'm from Vancouver, born and raised, and started playing football when I was seven years old. So we had uh, basically nine-man tackle was the first level you could play at out here. So started playing football, was actually running back, linebacker when I first started, then kind of got thrown into the quarterback game. I got injured uh, my second game, and they figured out that I could throw. So the rest is history. I played the position like competitively up until I was about 23. And then uh, stopped and got into com- playing like competitive rec, so men's competitive flag. Mm-hmm. But started coaching actually when I was 16 years old. So I started coaching my brother's junior bantam team and uh, kind of fell in love with coaching. And then basically kept on with it while I was playing. You know, I'd, anytime I had free time, I was out at someone's practice helping out or helping out the younger guys. So yeah, that's kind of my story on how I got to where I am today. You're the owner of Pinnacle Football Academy. Yeah, so actually, I'm the owner and my wife's the owner. She uh, She's kind of the person behind the scenes, deals with all the business side of it and talking with the uh, individuals and the parents and stuff. And I just get to go out there and, and coach and uh, be involved with the kids and help them uh, reach their goals. That's outstanding. Coach, let's get into some action that was just last night. College football championship game. Uh, Georgia undefeated plays TCU and obliterates them 65 to 7 wasn't much of a game uh, right from the get-go Georgia was dominant um, I'm interested what what were your thoughts on the game do you think TCU should have even been there should they have been in the top four it's kind of hard like I agree with you that was probably the most lopsided national championship game I've seen in in years the, the one that I can only think that kind of comes close is LSU's one from 2019 the yeah. Joe Burrow team but like Clemson at least put up some bit of a fight in that game mm-hmm. um this just looked like it was a complete two different classes like you were dealing with an F, almost like an fcs school and an ncaa level one it's hard to say because i look at it this way when you see the tcu michigan game from a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that was four weeks of prep for tcu to get ready for that game and then it's been a week of prep to get like a normal week like normal football is a week of prep to get ready for georgia and it was such a contrast of Oh, we get a month to prep, and now we only get one week to prep. I don't know if TCU should have been in the final. Um, and I think this kind of plays back to the should they expand that format and make it an eight- or 12-man playoff because TCU's victory over Michigan kind of reminds me of that one day where, you know, you go out and the top seed plays the eighth seed, and they get lucky with a bunch of bounces that go their way, and they knock somebody off, and then they go play the next week and get – obliterated by the next team and this mm-hmm. is kind of that example i feel like not to knock tcu i think they got a great program but i do feel they were completely outmatched across the board yeah absolutely were and just to kind of speak on georgia's quarterback stats and bennett he had a heck of a day he goes 18 to 25 304 yards passing 
four passing touchdowns with two rushing touchdowns. What are your thoughts on his performance? There's a lot of talk that uh, maybe he's not a guy that gets drafted in the NFL draft coming up in, in April here. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Do you think he's a, he, he's somebody that's going to go in the draft? I think he does go in the draft just because teams will always take that shot on a quarterback. But it was actually interesting. I was having this conversation um, earlier with one of the coaches I have uh, through my academy and one of my closest friends. Um, we were talking about sentiment. Like, where does he fit, like, out of past quarterback drafts? Mm-hmm. He kind of falls in that bracket for me of, like, the A.J. McCarrens, um, the previous Alabama quarterbacks. can't remember. I think it's Greg McElroy. Yeah, Greg McElroy. came yeah. out. You know, Colt McCoy. Those type of guys where they can make the college throw because of the wider hashes when they're throwing into the boundary. But when the NFL, when you sh- make those hashes come in and that boundary throws a little bit wider, they don't have that zip on the ball that, you know, that NFL arm, per mm-hmm. se. That's where I look at it with Bennett. And I look like he, you know, he's a great college quarterback. Can't take anything away. Two back to back national championships. Statistically, he looks great. But now if I take away all that five-star power around you and put you on an NFL roster where you don't necessarily have all-stars at every single position, are you able to elevate your game? Are you able to carry that game and win games? Or are you the type of guy that you need all those pieces around you just to get the offense to function? I agree. I, I like what I've seen from him lately. Uh, to be honest, I haven't watched a whole lot of him throughout the, the full season. Just watched obviously these two playoff games, and then he's he played obviously really well. So be interesting to see how it, you know his stature. He's not an overly huge guy. He can move, and he can throw, and he seems to be a pretty good leader. And uh, the pedigree of winning two national titles, I agree with you. I think somebody will draft him. Uh, I don't think he'll go undrafted. So interesting with that. The top QBs coming out for this draft in in twenty twenty three here. Bryce Young from Alabama and C J Stroud from Ohio State are kind of the top two. I know. Will Levis out of Kentucky is also very good. And there's there's going to be some other guys, I'm sure, that come out through the process. But just talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud as, as potentially the two best guys coming out of the draft, if you were in charge of making that pick, what quarterback would you go with and why? Okay, so that's, that's a really loaded question, <laughs> Coach. It's actually interesting. I went back and watched the uh, 2019 Elite 11. Mm-hmm. So that's the competition they have in the state's top 11 quarterbacks in high school football. And it was Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud's right. year. C.J. Stroud didn't even get selected for the final. He only got in because uh, D.J. Ugalele opted out. Okay. Then Stroud goes in, wins the entire competition. If I'm a GM and I'm sitting there with the number one pick or one of the top five picks in the draft and I'm taking a quarterback, I'm probably leaning more towards C.J. Stroud. The reason I'm leaning towards Stroud over Young I feel like Strout has still some areas of growth in his game that he can get to. Yeah. And his size is a big factor. And yeah. I know a lot of people say we can't knock size because of Russell Wilson and all these guys that have kind of come and gone. But if you look at Russell this year, and I know, again, people are going to talk about his drop-off. Russell has been having a drop-off in Seattle since his legs started to leave, being a smaller right. quarterback. When you're a smaller quarterback, having that escapability to get outside the pocket also opens up your field division. And I look at Young... And I look at him, and he's so small weight-wise. He's under 200 pounds. And you've got D-linemen like a Jalen Carter that's coming into this draft or a Will Anderson that's on his own Alabama team. They are going to inflict a lot of punishment on you, game in and game out, seasons longer in the NFL. There's a whole bunch of physical limitations I feel Young has. 
that are going to be a issue converting to the NFL game. Now, I don't think Young is by far like some, you know, don't touch him kind of prospect because of that. I definitely think he's still the, the number two quarterback in this draft class. But if he was, say, if you said he was 5'11", 205 pounds, I'd be more inclined to lean that way because I feel like durability-wise, he'd hold up. They both read the field really well. They have that NFL IQ. You can see it from both the offenses they play in with Ryan Day's system and Nick Saban's. But yeah, if you had to ask me and, and say, who are you taking? If you were the, a GM, I'm probably going CJ Stroud on this one. Yeah, I really like your take on that, Coach. You hit on a lot of aspects that I kind of think are, are very true of the situation. Bryce Young, I think, is the more polished quarterback right now. He looks a little bit better. He's cleaner. He, he's got great ability, just like you said, with, with his arm path. But then, you know, moving just slightly outside the pocket and making big plays down the field. Uh, I really like what I've seen with him. But but the thing that scares me is the same thing that uh, is, is that you said. is just his frame. He's a small guy. And we've seen some smaller quarterbacks this year in the NFL really get beaten up a lot, Tua being one of them, right? Like, and he's sort of similar. Yep. Do you want a quarterback like that? Or, or C.J. Stroud is the bigger dude that's, you know, more in line with, with some of the other guys that are having a lot of success, the Josh Allens, the uh, Justin Herberts, that sort of thing, the bigger style quarterback that can take kind of the, the brunt of the hits and that sort of thing, but also has that big arm. Uh, I, I think both quarterbacks, I think you're right, both quarterbacks are really good. And uh, I don't know if you necessarily go wrong with either one, but I would personally lean with C.J. Stroud. Also want to point to the fact of uh, your comment about Russell Wilson. Now, last year when the trade happened, I remember talking to you about it, and you were I, I, I was positive with it. I was like, oh, I think this is good for Denver. I think this will be good for Russ to get a new team. And they had some good weapons at the time that I thought were going to be really good for him. And uh, I remember you said to me, no, he's uh, – the skills are dropping off, and and I was kind of reluctant in, in your outlook on that. But uh, sure enough, you you were right, and he's had a horrible year. And can you kind of speak on that? Like I know we talked about his just athleticism diminishing a bit, but what else have you seen? So the thing with with Russell, and this is something I noticed probably around 2017, as I'm a Seahawks fan, diehard. Right. His biggest thing, and you watched him when he played at Wisconsin, even in. His year, his one year at Wisconsin, when he had the highest completion percentage in college football, he had an effective run game and they could run play action. But he played within that system. He would take the short passes, the 10 yard outs, the hooks, the curls. He didn't really feel this, you know, home run ball mentality. And as I saw him progress in Seattle and the year they missed the playoffs in 2017, the offense, there was this like change. And some people credit it to Sierra coming into his life and his fame going up. I think there is a part of that that's mm -hmm. kind of drifted into his life where he's got these people around him that say he can be more, he can be Patrick Mahomes, he can be Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and those guys. But the thing with Russell is when you're 5'11", you can't see the middle of the field. And the way teams play him now is they sit two safeties on the hash, and they say, throw it down the middle of the field. We will give you that. But we also know you won't do that. Mm -hmm. And without having the ability to roll, because as you know as well, Coach, when you roll a quarterback, now the whole field starts to shift. So the safety starts to move off their spots. Everything starts to move. Now windows start to appear for you because people break down in zone coverage or man coverage. Legs are gone, or they're shot, I should say. Like, he still has them, but they're not the same as he was when he was, you know, a 25-year-old quarterback. Right. But he still thinks he can make these home run throws. And you you look at the way that that Nathaniel Hackett offense was built. It's built on timing. It's built on one, two, three, ball out. 
one, two, three, four, five ball out. Like there's, that's the thing with Russell is he's not a rhythmic thrower of the ball. He's what I call a boomer bust quarterback. Mm -hmm. You look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, people can throw him in that category, boomer bust. Um, where they need that big play or not. But Mahomes this year proved without Tyreek Hill, he can take the chunk plays and move the team down the field. Russell's never been highly successful at doing that. He's always needed some sort of, I'm going to run around four or five times, someone's going to pop open, and I'm going to throw it over their heads. It kind of reminds me actually of Big Ben when he was young. Mm -hmm. And he'd have guys hanging all over him, and then all of a sudden, San Antonio Holmes pops open. But then again, Ben, as he got older and the athleticism goes down, he started to reinvent himself. Russell has not shown the ability to reinvent himself. And I think that's what you're seeing now is he's gone to a new team and everyone thought, Oh, Denver is going to be great for him. And this, he was the same quarterback he's been for the last four years. It just got highlighted because Denver doesn't have the weapons of a DK Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett or a decent running game because Javante Williams got hurt. And that's what you're looking at now. Like they're going to hire a new coach. They're going to maybe bring in Jim Harbaugh, Sean Payton, somebody like that. But at the end of the day, it's Russell getting humbled. He needs to be humbled and be, hey, I need to go in and work. I need to do what the offensive coordinator says. Yes, I can have my input, but he's not Peyton Manning. He's not Tom Brady. He's not one of these guys that commands that level of respect. Like I read an article the other day that said he's the most hated player in the NFL. Yeah, it's crazy. A guy that doesn't really do much outside of just be a football player when you look at some of these other guys that do these things off the field and this guy's the most hated there's clearly something wrong there and some sort of disconnect and i think that's what you're seeing even more of and that's why when i said to you last year he can go i think it's going to be worse off for him than it is for seattle and now we see where they're sitting at the end of the year Back at it for second quarter action with QB coach Bryce Coots. I got kind of a, a big truth bomb to, to drop here, which kind of ties into the next question for you. But uh, I'm working on starting a new football business. So I'm going to put Big Air to rest. And, and I'm working with a few other coaches to kind of make an expansion of it and do a, you know kind of the same kind of training and also expand on it, adding offensive linemen to the mix and, and running backs to the mix. Also doing some coach and player development stuff with teaching online courses and kind of just overall expanding everything we do to give uh, more back to the community. You were with AQA when you were on my episode last year. You've now started your own business with your wife. Uh, Can you talk about that? Can you talk what led to that decision? How did that unfold? And and maybe what are the core beliefs of your program? Yeah, like you said, last year when we talked, I was on, uh, I was working with AQA Alliance uh, Quarterback Academy. It kind of came to a head point in the spring of last year just me and the the gentleman that I was working with, we kind of had a difference of philosophy on how things should be done. He wanted a kind of more business-centric approach. For me, I have never looked, even at what I do now as a business, for me, it's uh, an ability to give back to the football community, give back to these kids and you know give them an abundance of knowledge um, and the abilities to go out and do things with that knowledge. Um, and so, like you said, my wife, who's kind of the mastermind behind the whole Pinnacle Academy, kind of helped highlight that for me. And she said, you know, what, the way you do it, that's something special that these kids need. Yeah, we turned around and we started up Pinnacle. And a lot of the kids that I had coached and trained decided they wanted to, you know, and, and my rule was, I don't care who you train with. You want to train with a bunch of different quarterback coaches, be my guest. I've always been of that philosophy. The more knowledge you can get. So when me and AQA separated, 
I never said to the kids, I said, Hey, you, you got to pick one or the other. It's always been, do what you feel best. If you want to do both, do both. I, I don't care. It's, it's totally up to you. And so then we kind of started it. And my wife's initial thing was we'll take five kids, five to six kids. Well, the first session we had out, we had 16 quarterbacks and she realized, and I realized this was going to be a lot bigger than what we initially anticipated. Um, and then it kind of expanded. I brought on some coaches, um, a couple of my ex quarterbacks that one is no longer playing. One's actually at SFU now as a receiver nice. wanted to come and help and get, give back themselves after being trained by me for two or three years. And then we started taking on receivers and we started taking on running backs and defensive backs. And I had to start finding guys and reaching out to some of my old contacts and guys I'd played with and been like, Hey, you guys interested in, in coaching? And the first question always would be, well, how much time is it going to you know, take away from what I do outside of and their personal lives? And I said, well, guys, it's, it's not like committed as in you're committed to a team. This is training young athletes that really love the game mm -hmm. and they want as much knowledge as you can give them. And so, yeah, my wife and I basically started up and it kind of just exploded. And now I've got about 30 quarterbacks. I've got about 25 receivers slash running backs and DBs that we train on a regular basis. Our first session is actually for the new year going to be this, uh, this Saturday. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where it kind of took off. So yeah. Oh, I love it. That's outstanding coach. Talk me through kind of what does a general workout look like at, at Pinnacle? What, what do you take? What do you take the quarterbacks through? A general workout for the quarterbacks. We kind of, it, it honestly, a big part of what I do is I'll ask the kids, what do you guys have uh, strengths and weaknesses? So I sent out a message in December to the kids and said, Hey, we're going to start training in mid January. Your seasons have all ended. What are some areas that you guys know you definitely need to work on for next year? Mm -hmm. And what were your biggest areas of strength? Because what I'll do is they immediately will send me their strengths. No problem. Oh, I was great at throwing this and doing this. And then I'll say, okay, well, what are your weaknesses? And they'll give me their weaknesses. I'll say, okay, we're going to work on both because we still want your strength to be a strength. So like a general workout for us is about two hours. I'll take the quarterbacks with a couple of the other coaches. And then our receivers and DBs have their own coaches they go and work with. Mm -hmm. And basically the quarterbacks will go through footwork, uh, mechanics, different kind of drills from one day it can be we're doing, you know, pocket movements and how you move in the pocket and reading a defense to, okay, pockets collapse. Now you got to escape and you got to get yourself reset to make that throw. And part of that is we'll sync it with what the receiver is doing. So we'll have like a coaches meeting generally discuss what we want to do. So uh general one we do is a pocket escape to the left. So part of that is teaching the receivers, okay, your quarterback and the ball's not on you when it should be turn your head around, get to the sideline, find a spot, make yourself available for your quarterback, and we'll apply pressure to the quarterback. So two other quarterbacks will chase him out of the pocket. So now he actually has that simulation of yeah. this is what it's going to feel like when I'm chasing and getting run at. I need to still be able to fundamentally work my mechanics through that throw and be fluid in what I do. So that's kind of what we do. It all depends what the kids are you know, wanting to work on that day. Um, and then we just kind of go from there in a structured setting. Oh, I love it. I love the the breaking down just little things, creating a drill from it that's practical, and then going and executing it and, and teaching your guys just how to play football in, in a general sense, right? Um, uh, I think that's really important. We all run different schemes and and that sort of thing. So I think the, the breakdown drills are kind of the most important because that's where things kind of go haywire. And guys need to have some sort of structure with that and just learning timing and sequencing and all that kind of stuff. So that's great work, Coach. Um, 
how about we get into something cool here? We go screen share, turn it over to you, Coach. Can you walk me through a couple of drills here? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I can walk you through a couple of drills. Just give me a second here. So I'll walk you through this drill here. So do you have a look at it, Coach? Can you see it? Yeah, I can see it. Do you want to blow it up? Make it full screen? Yeah, I will blow it up for you guys. So there you go. So this is kind of, this is from the summer. And this is Aiden Hewitt. He's a grade 11 quarterback that I trained from GW Graham. Okay. So this drill, basically, as you can see, we've got another quarterback standing out here. He's playing your outside linebacker, your rush end. But what I do in these drills, a lot of these kids, as you know, coach, play from the shotgun nowadays. Right. They're all in shotgun. They're all in these spread systems. Well, part of my philosophy is if you can't take a snap and work from under center off a of play action, mm -hmm. you're going to be in a lot of trouble as you get older. So I force these guys to work from under center. So in this drill, what he's going to do, he's going to run a play action. He's going to be booting out to his left side. And this defender is going to do one of two things. He's either going to follow the play action mm -hmm. inside. So that allows your quarterback to get out and set up. Or he's going to chase and the quarterback's going to have to make the throw on the run. So it all depends on what this defender does. Okay. So we'll run this through here and you can have a look at it. So he'll take the snap. He'll move. And he'll have to set up. And he's throwing an outside breaking comeback route. Okay. So as you can tell off of that, the defender, when you watch it through, he actually crashes down. But the big key thing here with Aiden was he had to get his shoulders around, his hips around yes. to be able to make that accurate throw. And, and you know this as well as I do, Coach. A lot of the times when you're on the move to your wrong side, you kind of get lazy. Mm -hmm. And you think you can do it all with your arm. Yeah, he's got to rip himself around. He gets around he and he gets himself squared. But the key thing here is he doesn't push off this foot and he doesn't take a massive stride step to his target. Right. He uses his hip rotation and that allows him to get that ball out there. Right. Keeping that back foot on the ground. Yeah. Connected all the way through. So that's yeah. one of the drills we do. So just with his starting point, what, what do you teach in terms of a stance from under center? What is your beliefs? So my belief on it is I'm with the left foot. So your toes, if you're right-handed, your left foot, your toes should line up with the arch of your right foot. So a staggered stance. A little bit of a staggered stance under center. The reason for this yep. is because if you've got a pulling guard right, or your center's pulling, because in some schemes, centers even pull, mm -hmm. it allows you to pivot a yardish or so back and get out of that travel path rather than having to pick up both feet to get out. Absolutely. And, and you know, one thing, and it kind of goes to what you were saying earlier about these quarterbacks that don't play from under center is that the old school teachings of the reason why we like the staggered stance was because it added depth to your drop from the get go. Right. If you start right. with your feet even, right, and you take that first step of your drop, well, you, let's say you get a yard and a half, so you get a yard and a half. If I stagger my feet, and, and I also believe that that staggered stance puts you in a more athletic position, that you can power off that back foot. You gain the distance from that foot to the line of scrimmage, so six inches, eight inches, whatever that is, plus now your first step, which gets you further back, right? So, again, I know that most teams are in the gun now, and so quarterbacks aren't as focused with depth on their drop. But that was a big teaching point for me back in the day that I still teach with my quarterbacks. I believe you're more athletic in that staggered stance. I completely agree with you, Coach. You're more athletic. But the other thing that I noticed with, and I even found myself back in the olden days doing it, when you have your feet aligned perfectly together under center, yep. you take a false step. Right. 
So you take your left foot and almost jab it six inches forward to rotate and get back. Mm -hmm. When I stagger now, I can just pivot on that and get out. Absolutely. So it also, like you said, it adds that depth, but it also increases you by about half a second of getting out from underneath that center and moving and allows you to get, you know, in this case for Aiden, he's allowed to get out. He can get to his play fake and he can get around a little bit quicker and make that throw. So with this drill coach, if, if the defender chased the quarterback on the boot, he would just, he would just throw that, that route on the move. Is that what the drill would be? He would throw that route on the move. So as you can see, there's the extra cone here. Yeah. He would come around and clear that cone and have to get himself facing the coach down here is his kind of his aim point. Awesome. Okay. And let that ball go. Okay, excellent. So here's another example of it, actually. So this is Finn Teasdale. He's the uh, grade 11 quarterback at Vancouver College, provincial AAA champion this year, actually, um, doing the same drills. So Aiden's now playing the rush end. And so this is kind of what we were saying about the other variation of this drill. Yeah. Finn's going to take the snap. He's going to run the fake, but Aiden's going to chase him. So now he's got to make that throw on the move rather than getting the luxury of setting up. What do you talk to the quarterbacks in terms of the ball fake? So for me, it's kind of a, a preference for them. What do they feel they can get their grip back most comfortably with? The big thing for me with ball fakes when I teach them is you have to put that ball on your belly button. You have to hide it from those linebackers that are in here and make it the same way as if you were giving a handoff. So as long as it's something that you're comfortable with, so like I know in this case, Finn does it differently than Aiden in the way he fakes this. He kind of tucks this like a running back yep. and gives the fake. As long as it's still hidden by the majority of his body, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. The one thing I can't stand sometimes is these quarterbacks that fully ball fake because it's always to me a recipe for disaster. As in, it's going to hit a hip, it's going to hit something, and it's going to come out. And usually, when these quarterbacks do do the ball fake, it's one hand on the ball, faking it to the back, and then trying to pull it back into themselves as they're moving. Right. I'd much rather them take it from the snap, go to their stomach, turn around, and give a, a, a hand. Because, as you know, there's linemen involved, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. But as long as it looks the same, it should give you that extra second to get out and around. Yeah, And in this case, it kind of does. Aiden kind of bites in, and then he comes chasing out around. And he does a good job squaring his shoulders. And, and I agree with you, Coach. I think the key to it is consistency. Each quarterback's going to do it maybe a little bit differently. Maybe they're more comfortable one way or the other. But it's being consistent on whether they give the ball on the run player or whether, whether it's a bootleg or a play action, right? It should all look the same right. all the time, right? Exactly. So this is Owen Sieben. So this is one of our, yeah, like and I'll one. just describe it. It's kind of a pocket movement drill. Yeah. I so we're treating this, this as your little area. So you got, you know, your tackle, your guard and center mix. And basically these are kind of the areas you can slide in and make your throw. So the whole point of this for him is he's basically kind of takes a rocker step back. Like he's at the top of his drop yep. and he's climbing up. And as he climbs up, basically he gets a call either slide right or slide left depending on what the receiver's told so if the receiver bolts to his right mm -hmm. owen's got to slide into there make the throw and make sure he keeps his frame and his uh underneath him and he keeps his balance with him as he does it because a lot of kids when they do this will take a massive drive step with their front leg right rather than just keeping their weight on their back leg and then rotating off of it so you'll see him slide up he slides through here 
But if you watch his front leg as it goes, he doesn't take a big drive. He just kind of opens and then rotates off and around. Right. And he puts it right on the money for the receiver. So is the receiver reacting to the QB's call to step up or the other way around? Other way around. So the receiver will stand there and I'm usually behind. So I may give the receiver a direction or I give the receiver the ability to do it after the quarterback slides back up. So in this gotcha. case, Owen drops, the receiver gets the decision on where he wants to go and he just is going to take off. So he gets the call from me and slides and then boom, balls out. Excellent. Love it. This guy's got a nice clean stroke too. Owen's a Owen's probably one of the top rated quarterbacks for his age. He just finished grade 12. Um, I know he's got a lot of opportunities to go different places and play, but he's probably one of the, him and Lucas Fever are probably two of the quarterbacks that I coach that have the most um, coachable minds I've ever been around where they just take information like sponges and they apply it instantly. So here's another version of it. He slides up and now he's going over and making a throw on the run. So this is kind of trying to, in this case, coach, we're trying to simulate, you know, you drop to the back of the, the pocket, you've climbed up a bit, you're escaping underneath, say, the guard and the tackle, and you're threatening that line of scrimmage, but your receiver, you see him pop open on a corner or an over route, and you just got to flick it and get it in front of him because the defense is, you know, worried about you running. Right. So now you got to pop it over. So as you see with Owen here, he drops, he's up, and he keeps his balance, weight back, and just throws it out there and gets it out in front of the receiver. Absolutely. I love it. It's the secondary part of the drill. Um, it's almost like pressure's coming from behind and, and maybe they're in some sort of cover zero look where you just got to float it out there and let your guy go get it, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so we'll go through. Here's another one. So now he's going to go around. So this is, again, pocket movement, keeping your balance, keeping your structure. Yeah. But now I've called him to boot out and go from behind. So nice. pressure comes from the inside. So this gap in here. He's rolling out, turning away, getting around these cones, and getting, again, himself squared downfield to make this throw. So, Coach, when you're playing this yep. through here, can you get it to the point where he's just before he's about to boot? Yep. Let's just have a question for you. So, when he goes to boot now, you got him. Yep. He's turning his back and going out? Correct. Okay, so why do you not teach him just to, like, pivot off his – back foot is right foot and and go out to his left why wouldn't you do that so the reason why i'm having him spin here is so what we're in this drill what we're simulating is you've got say the defensive end is stunted up up here mm -hmm. right he's up here and now he's stunted back in and you got pressure coming right through here through the middle inside pressure yeah. you step sideways and open what the problem you run into and can run into with that in, in this particular situation as you get older with the older group is you've now presented that ball to that D lineman's hands. Absolutely. So now we're in a situation where you've presented the ball, he can attack the ball and you're not really in a throwing position with yourself being completely horizontal to your receiver. Mm -hmm. So what this allows in a way for them and why I coach them to do this on when they get pressure up the middle, and that's the key on this, when they get pressure from that middle, from an, a B or an A gap, and why to boot out this way is as you watch when he turns, he can get himself around and he gets that head around, and yeah. that's the key. But now on this, he's allowed to build momentum 
but he gets his shoulder. When he hits about this third last cone, he'll get his shoulders downfield. Mm -hmm. And now he can be in a throwing position and use that momentum coming around in his throw. So it's not his arm making this throw. It's actually his body and momentum. So as we go through here, you'll see him get his shoulders and he's around and through and that ball is accurate. So now we've gone from a chaotic situation where he's gotten this pressure, he's had to escape, but yet the play isn't in shambles because he's still able to get around and make a nice clean throw down the field. That's outstanding work, coach. And that was really what I was looking for there was, was the technique of not presenting the defense the ball. Right, the ball can be easily stripped if if the if your QB does it the opposite way. And some people would say, "Don't turn your back to the defense." Well, you just proved why, right? So, uh, yeah. I really I really like that coach. It's great work. I, I really get a lot of joy out of, out of watching that and watching your drills and, and kind of learning from you. The reason why I coach quarterbacks and, and what I do, and, and I know we're very like minded. I've never been kind of money driven on it. it. It's really just to mentor young football players. You know, majority of the guys I work with are quarterbacks. And trying to teach them how to be better young men and, and leaders. What what are the reasons? And, and you may have already kind of touched on some of these things, but kind of the key reasons on why you do what you do, why you run Pinnacle, why you coach football. For me, it, it's an interesting thing. I I love being able to help kids achieve their goals. And so for me, with Pinnacle and why I coach and why I do what I do, for me, like. I could go out and just have four kids that have never played football before and enjoy teaching them the game. It, it honestly brings me a lot of joy just seeing how much happiness these kids get when the light bulb goes on and they start to excel at something, whether it's playing quarterback, playing receiver, whatever. And part of the other reason why I coach and, and run Pinnacle, like a big thing for me is it's not just about football. So a big thing with Pinnacle is, I will check in with my kids throughout the year, whether it we're training or not, how's school going, you know, how's life in general, what's new, like what's going on and, and build relationships with these kids. So if they have struggles in their own personal lives, besides just going to mom and dad or the teacher at the school, they feel like they can come and have a conversation with me and be like, Hey coach, I'm struggling with this or Hey coach, you know, what do I do in this situation? Like, that's a big thing. And that's why I even have guys now that are on my staff coaching that I've coached for years, but I have relationships with them outside of this. Mm -hmm. And that's what, for me, it's about like, it, it's kind of like building a family. Like Absolutely. you want to be there for these kids and not just have it where it's like, okay, you want to see me X amount of days out of the week, take money from, you know, us for training. And that's all you care about. Like, I don't have a care in the world about that. I honestly want to see these kids excel use football for whatever they can they're now going off to university I say hey you know what if you don't make the cfl the nfl whatever that doesn't mean that your football career is a failure use it for what it is go to school get a great degree become an engineer an architect a scientist whatever but don't think that that's going to disappoint me if you decide you don't even want to play football after high school right like i get parents that ask me all the time oh is this an elite program for kids only trying to go to university and I say, no, like if your kid plays community and he's 11 years old, bring him out. He can learn from the older kids. And that's, that's another thing with pinnacle that we really try and focus on is the guys in our program that are grade 11, 12, you know, in university that have been with me for a while, when they come out to a session, part of what I tell them is, Hey, you guys need to step in here and help coach. These little guys look up to you. Yes. I have quarterbacks that are 11, 12, 13 years old that look up to these guys being like, I want to be just like him. Mm -hmm. Use that, be an influence on these kids, take that role on because 
not only will it help your football game, it'll also help you with real life and stuff you're going to run into in your, your daily life as you get older and as an adult. Back at it for third quarter action with Coach Geese and Coach Bryce Coots. This past year in 2022, uh, I was the offense coordinator, quarterback coach for the Oak Park Raiders varsity team here in Winnipeg. Uh, we played in the AAA division, so that was the highest division. And there were six teams in our in our division. It was really competitive. We uh, started off, we were a very young team. Our quarterback was a, a sophomore, really a great, great player, but, you know, had to learn kind of the hard way a little bit. Just took his lumps, and, and we as a team took our lumps. We didn't really have much of a run game to start the year off. Our tailback, actually, senior that, that came on strong towards the end of the year, rolled his ankle bad in our preseason game and was out pretty much for half the season. And we really had no run game. So uh, it was it was rough at one point. We were one and four. Things were looking grim. We had to win our last three games to make the playoffs. Um, they were, you know, competitive games that we knew we had to win against some pretty gritty teams that were much more veteran than us. And, and we were able to kind of catch our steam and get going and ended up becoming four and four, making the playoffs and uh, ended up losing in the semifinal to the eventual champion St. Paul's Crusaders. So uh, overall, it was, a, it was a rewarding season, full with a lot of ups and downs, a lot of growth from some young players that are really bode well for us in the future. My quarterback, Ryan Wurzfeld, I believe he threw 17 touchdowns, only four interceptions on the season, and just really kind of took the next step in terms of his leadership. So that, that's kind of what happened for my year. Now, for you, I know you this coaching experience at Vancouver College is something that, uh, you know, you hadn't been coaching for a number of years, about 10 years since you'd last been on a, on a staff and done the full gig of, you know, being on the grind every day. Um, can you talk a little bit about your program and, and the league that you guys play in and that sort of thing, Coach? Vancouver College has been around for about 100 years here in the Lower Mainland in BC, and it's a very storied program. So it's kind of the premier program in, in high school football here in the province. Um, it There's a couple others, St. Thomas More, Notre Dame, but it's kind of got this uh, reputation as being like the the football school. Like if you want to be a guy that goes somewhere, you go to Vancouver College. It's a all boys private school, so it uh, it's kind of got its own tradition set in that way. And so yeah, it was it was definitely a change to come back to the full grind, like you said, film study breakdowns, devising schemes, all that kind of stuff. But it was interesting because being for the being back in it for the first time in about ten years you forgot for me, I forgot how much I loved it, how much I loved sitting there going through the film, watching other teams, figuring out, Hey, what can I put in this week that will exploit one of their weaknesses and, mm-hmm. and going through that process. And and I was really lucky. The, the coaching staff there is amazing. Um, there's a lot of great coaches there. Coach Brian Taggart and coach uh, cause run an amazing program at the junior varsity level. So we coach grade nine, 10. That's where I was at this year. And, and Coach Chu and the varsity staff, uh, Coach Ron Turner there, they were an amazing varsity staff. So it, it's a great program through grade 8 to 12. Um, everyone there is a football junkie, a football nerd. They just love nice. the sport, and they, they love seeing the kids do well and, and excel. So it was it was a lot of fun to come back and, and be a part of that team this year. And one of the things that's uh, probably not abnormal for you guys, but maybe a little bit for us here in Manitoba, is that you play American football. You play 11, 11 men aside. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so BC High School football runs uh, 11 American ball, so it's uh, it's 11 men, and it's a bit different, you know, because I played community. I did play high school here when it was when it was 11 men then, but 
you get a lot of these kids that come out of the community programs with 12 man ball, Canadian rules. Well, now all of a sudden you're on a smaller field. You got one less guy. There's not as much motion. For me, it was an adjustment because my playbook and my passing game is kind of a bit of a mesh between American college and Canadian. So there's a lot of motion in it and there's a lot of different variations and routes and reads and stuff. And so trying to merit that with kids that have never really run motion and done that was a bit of a challenge for the first part of our season. I'd say the first half of our season was, um, it was a learning process because a lot of these kids, when I first got to Vancouver college, um, the program was very much singular number system. So it'd be like, you say like 44 or four, four, four. And that means a certain type of protection. And then, the 444 is a certain route route combo, but they kind of mirrored their route combo system on both sides of the field. So it'd be like a smash concept, two hooks in the corner and stuff like that. So when I got brought in and coach Taggart said, Hey, you know what? I want you to kind of bring your flavor to this, your coaching philosophy. Um, So I was the passing game coordinator. He was the head coach and run game coordinator. So there's a bit of a meriting process that went there because our run game was phenomenal. Like the running backs we had, Coach Taggart is an amazing O-line coach, probably one of the best O-line coaches in Canada. And so it was very much a kind of feeling out process for the first half of our season because we play four preseason games, eight regular season games to make an eight-game schedule, and then we run into playoffs. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, but it's a lot of fun. And to kind of talk a little bit about your season here, can you kind of talk about you had a lot of success, your quarterback was phenomenal, you guys won the championship, uh talk talk about the season overall the team before i got there the year before been to the provincial final lost in that game after going uh undefeated lost uh seven to seven to three i believe was the final was not a very high scoring game we had a lot of kids returning uh that were grade tens but the grade eight team that was coming up that were going to grade nine and just won the provincial championship the year before so you kind of had this influx of talent but also expectations with this team like the expectation was if you don't make it and you don't win, not that the season's a failure, but you didn't maybe reach your goal. And so the quarterbacks that I had on the junior varsity team, I actually trained them in the off season, Parker Orr and Brandon Bailey. And they're kind of interesting because they're polar opposite quarterbacks. Brandon is an amazing athlete. He can run all over the field and make plays with his feet, but he's not as polished as a passer yet. He's still kind of that, you know, wild stallion mm-hmm. and he just runs wild. We call him BB 12. He kind of anointed himself that nickname throughout the year with his ability to make plays. Um, and then we had Parker, who was our grade 10. And Parker, Parker cerebrally is probably one of the smartest quarterbacks I've been around, especially for his age, being a 15-year-old. We allowed him to make checks at the line of scrimmage with the run. Um, I gave him kind of some ability to check with pass plays and, and audible routes in our system. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, as you know, for a younger kid, that's not usually a thing coaches usually no. do. You kind of this is the script, stick to it. We call this play, make this throw. Um, and so Parker, you know, he he was very, very good at, at getting us in the right plays at the right time. And, you know, kind of being that eraser with his brain out on the field to be able to get us in the right, right situation. And so, yeah, they both, for me, were statistically had great years. Parker in the championship game missed one ball, which – was a miscommunication between him and, and the tight end, and it just fell incomplete. Otherwise, he would have had a perfect day. And really, the nice thing was when we played in our provincial championship game, it was the first time all year our passing game and run game worked together. 
and they were just seamless. We could have gone all pass if we had wanted to and probably still won the game. And we could have gone all run if we had wanted. So, yeah, it was it was a really successful year. And I think the kids learned a lot. But I also got the ability to be the receiver coach at the same time. And so trying to teach these kids a new system with numbers from left to right was uh, was a bit of a challenge. But I got to give the kids credit. They worked at it. Our film sessions, they brought notebooks. They were taking notes. They watched film. Like, they really dove in. And, and they gave me a great experience in the sense of it helped me become a better coach and understanding on how to get through to different kids and how, how they learn, which is something that I needed to grow at too. You know, it's great when you get great athletes and great football minds, but sometimes you got those kids that, and you probably know this as well, that maybe the game doesn't click for them as fast mm-hmm. and you got to kind of help them along a little bit more. And so it was really rewarding in that sense. Uh, I love a coach. There's so much great things you talked about there, you know, just getting all your guys on board here your quarterbacks and, and them having great years and all that kind of stuff. I was able to watch your championship game a little bit. Some explosiveness from that running back over the backfield. Your quarterback made some nice throws. Overall, you guys you guys look really sharp. So really cool. Can you take uh, take me through a little screen share again and maybe pull up some concepts here? Walk me through sure, some of the stuff you're doing. All right. So let's open this up here for you, Coach. Oh, okay. Coach, can you see that? Yeah, I got it. Okay, so this play in our offense basically is kind of a three-level system. It's our uh, one of our trips looks. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically in our offense, uh, Y and F are tight ends. Z and X are our wideouts. Um, so this would, what we would call would be trips left flex. Okay. So the, basically the way it works, if it was just trips left, Y would be here as the inline tight end. When we flex them, we flex them out and create a bit of a mismatch with a corner. Luckily for me, I had two or three stud tight ends. These guys were just studs. They all brought something different. Kind of like having Gronkowski, Kelsey, and Kittle all on the field at the same time. So it gave me a, a pretty much a, a utility belt of things I could do depending on who I had on the field at a particular time. And then the Z and X in our offense, like I said, are our wideouts. So I had Noah Loudon and Wyatt Groom, who were both really, really sound route runners and very reliable with their hands. So like on this concept here, basically what we've done is we've isolated the corner out here. We have our tight end running a deep post. We have our inside slot here, which is our Z, running what we called our pivot route. So basically he kind of runs a slant inside, gets inside of it to where the outside backer may be, pivots and comes flat hard out. Our tight end here will run a seam and then basically our wide out here is running a dig route. So runs about five yards, two steps to the post at seven and flat hard across. Quarterback, three-step drop with a hitch out of gun. And basically what I want him reading, unless he gets a real look out here that he likes and he knows he's got single because the safety's moved over, mm-hmm. basically you're reading this backer here. If he flows out, you can hit the, the dig in here. If the backer stays in here, you hit the the pivot route coming back outside. And when we get man, which in a lot of cases, when we went to this look, we did. And you got the safety and the safety jumps up in here with that dig route. We throw that seam ball right in behind. I like the read process, looking to manipulate the linebacker underneath, looking for the hole in the zone on the dig route. And and if the safety plays shallow, or like you said, they play man and they, you, you can throw that seam route, right? And then again, yep. if you get a nice matchup on that backside one-on-one, um, you can take that shot on the post. A lot of what we did with our quarterbacks is they had to be responsible. If, if 
the team locked up in like a 5-2 look or a 4-4 look and there was an un you know blocked defender that was going to come yeah we told the quarterbacks that's your guy so you better get rid of the ball like if you know that they got a blitz coming they've walked up you know you got your flat route or you change it or you hot call it but you got to get it out because we don't have the protection to block you for you yeah i had that same issue this year with my quarterback obviously again being a young guy uh, same age as your guy, grade 10. That was really the struggle, was learning how to defeat the blitz, to recognize when they've got one more guy up on the line that we can block, throwing the ball hot, who is the hot player on each play, right? All those kind of things that come into playing quarterback. But uh, overall, I like the scheme. What, what else you got for me, Coach? This is uh same kind of thing. We, we spread a team out. We put our two tight ends in at the slots. Basically, we scored a lot on this concept because of the over route, which is what the Y is running here. So I call this an over. Some people call it a basic. It's not your traditional drag. And as you know, coach, a drag, you generally kind of stay level across. The over route in our offense is you run about four to three yards and you gradually gain depth as you go across the field. So we've got verts on the outside and we've got a post. So what we found with this play was he would run across and the backers would either back up with the post route that they'd see and let him have a free run yeah, or they'd kind of come up. And so we'd play action off of this. We do a quick inside zone fake yeah, like quarterback takes the step back. And basically you're looking at either the over or the safety on the post. When team sauce hit the over enough, the safety would shoot down and we'd be able to hit that post ball right down the middle. Yeah. I like it. It's simple. And again, with the PA fake, it'll either hold the backers or like you said, if they get depth, you can th- just throw your, your over route coming underneath. Are those wide outs on the outside? Is that must outside release? Yes. So they're basically outside releasing on this. And then we actually occasionally did get the go ball on the outside mm-hmm. because what we found is when teams would watch our film and if they saw this coming, they would instruct their corner that was on this side yeah. to sit and wait for the over. That's good. So we tell our quarterback, you come off the fake, stare that over route. As soon as the corner plants his feet, you throw the go ball in behind. Because what we found was, is with the post being on the same side as that one go, mm-hmm. is this safety would stay kind of on the hash and give you that outside shot to throw it to the sideline. Yeah, I like that. I like that. The other thing, too, is if they're flowing more to the sideline, you could probably go double post with that X, right? Exactly. So, so, yeah. You can change it. So, like, if we wanted to in a game, we just change the number on the outside to our post call, mm-hmm. and we'd run the post. Excellent. All right. So, we've got another one out of our spread look here. So, this is our – you can kind of actually see the number system. So, we call yeah. our spread look Rebel Left. This case, Y and Z are on the left side. We've got a deep end dig route a seam a corner and a hook there's no play action on this it's basically this one is we see either cover two we see cover three where we've got something kind of in this for every kind of zone we could face yep um and it gives our quarterbacks a shallow route a medium route and then two deep routes that basically pull the safeties apart okay where where would you instruct your quarterback to look first does it depend on down and distance it would depend down and distance on this. It would also depend maybe like in this case, it's in the middle of the field. Um, but if we know that, for example, you know, we're going to see cover two a lot by this one team, I may be telling them, look at the dig in the, the seam side of the game. So you look into your left side because yeah. the corner and the smash route concept on the other versus cover two, 
a little bit harder to fit that ball in there. But with, you know, the over the middle of that dig, we both know unless they're playing Tampa with that backer dropping, it's going to be an open kind of shot over the middle. And what I would then instruct is if we were playing cover three, okay, you're going to take that three, that, that hook all outside all day. Yeah. And until that corner wants to squat on it, then we'll take the shot over the top. And if it's man, I kind of give my quarterback free range on its man, wherever you feel comfortable and feel like you got a shot, take it. Yeah, that's how I would have him read it out as well. Um, I, I would take that hitch route all day long versus man or zone if they're going to give it to you. And I got one more for you, Coach, okay, if you sure. want it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this play is actually from our championship game. Oh, yeah. So this is one of our touchdown passes we ran. So this is our trip strong look or strip uh, normal trips look. Yeah. Our tight end's now in line here. He's just blocking. Basically, what we found is when teams ran cover three against us, their outside corner had a tendency – being young to drift inside with a post. So yep. we ran two posts and then our inside receiver here, in our case, it was Noah Loudon, who was an absolute stud at slot, ran a wheel concept. And so in the provincial game, which you saw on the on the YouTube, mm -hmm. our quarterback finds the hole and hits him for a touchdown on it because their whole defense sat inside on two posts. I love it. I run basically the same concept. The only difference with mine is it'd be a it would happen a little faster. Uh, I, with our, with the number one and number two receivers, I would run, uh, probably a three-step slant and a one-step slant with the, with the wheel coming underneath, but gotcha. that, would, that would be the only difference that I would do it, how I would do it within my system, but I run the same play. Great, great scheme. Love it in the red zone. Yes. It's a great red zone play. Right. right? And, and again, you're right about if, if corners are drifting hard inside, you just get that wheel around them, right? Make, make the game easy for your quarterbacks. I love it, coach. Back at it for fourth quarter action with QB coach Bryce Coots and Coach Geese. So, Coach, lots of NFL coaches being fired after last weekend's game. Uh, I got a couple on my mind here that I kind of would like to pick your brain about. First one being Cliff Kingsbury from Arizona getting turfed. They had a poor season, and, uh, you know, he just signed a, a new contract last offseason for a lot of money. What are your thoughts on that, and who do you think would maybe be a good fit for Kyler Murray moving forward? So first off, I never liked the Cliff Kingsbury hire. Well, I can't say that. I didn't like it from a football perspective, but I loved it as a Seahawks fan. <laughs> I never thought he was going to make a good coach because you look at what happened in college. You had Patrick Mahomes in the Big 12, and you couldn't win consistently with that talent. Like, that's kind of an indictment in a way. And I just think he was in over his head. He never came across to me as a head coach. He came across to me as an offensive coordinator type that, you know, calls a great game, philosophically his offense is kind of creative but i think the biggest thing is he never got respect no one respected that guy when you're the head coach that's almost the biggest thing it isn't so much the x's and o's for you it's having that respect in that organization and in that locker room from those players you look at some of the coaches that have been around a very long time and are consistently winning you look at the mike tomlins the bill belichick's the pete carroll's like Kyle Shanahan's these guys respect a certain get a certain amount of respect in the locker room like Tomlin again never had a season below 500 right teams he's had teams that have started terribly and still end up turning it around Seattle this year with Pete Carroll you trade Russell Wilson away you're going to be two and 15 he takes a bunch of rookies and Geno Smith and gets them into the playoffs so yeah. you never had that sense from Cliff Kingsbury and in in regards to what you said about Kyler like 
I think they need to bring in a hard-nosed coach for Kyler. Mm -hmm. Someone that's not going to coddle him. Someone that's not going to, you know, allow him to have his little antics. That's going to be like, hey, look, this is what I expect of you. You're either going to follow through with this or we're going to find somebody that is. Right. Yeah, like Sean Payton wouldn't be a bad character to put in there because I think he would kind of set Kyler straight and wouldn't Mm -hmm. put up with his antics, per se. Ultimately, I think that's what got Cliff Kingsbury was his deteriorating relationship with Kyler. I agree. It seemed like Kyler was a little immature at times, and I think you're right. I think if they bring in a guy like a Sean Payton, who's a proven uh, offensive genius, might as well say, but also just yep. the track record of a great coach. He's not going to put up with any nonsense, and like you said, he's just going to say, "This is how it's going to be. You either do it or you don't." And, and we're we're going we're here to win, right? So I, I think that that would be a good solution for him. Um, and I think Arizona would be an attractive spot for a guy like Sean Payton. Being older, nice weather, right? All that kind of stuff kind of fits in. So I could see that happening. Yep. What about the now? This one kind of made me laugh in the moment, Coach. Like, Lovey Smith and the and the Houston Texans are slated to get that number one draft pick. They fight like cats and dogs. They end up tying the game. He goes for two. They get it. They win, uh, screwing the Texans out of that first overall pick, and then obviously gets fired probably instantly after the game knowing he was going to get fired anyways what were your thoughts on that interesting situation to say the least it couldn't happen to a greater organization in my opinion than the houston texans that franchise is so poorly run and managed that this is great in my opinion like i'm kind of happy because i hope they don't get a quarterback either bryce young or cj stroud and ruin their careers like they already did to so many before them david carr Matt Schaub, like they've ruined quarterbacks' careers because they don't build anything. They don't have an infrastructure. They don't have a a bona fide philosophy there. And they go through coaches left, right, and center. Like they've got a new coach every other year. It's like, oh, who's Houston going to hire this year? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's great. I like Lovey Smith. I think he's a good coach defensively. You know, you look what he did with the Bears back in the day. Like he's he's got a good system. I think I think for Lovey Smith though. He coaches older players better than he does young players, I yeah. think. And I feel like he'd be really successful being in D.C. somewhere in a – like an example, I think, you know, if Flores leaves Pittsburgh, I think he'd make a great match in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. with Tomlin in that kind of hard-nosed kind of area and uh, team philosophy. Um, but, yeah, I just love the fact the Texans got screwed out of the first-round pick. Like, they, they were tracking all year for that pick, and then the last game of the year – like, you look at the one play, it was, what, fourth and 20, and you throw it into the end zone, and the luck goes the right way, and you get it? Yeah. Like, come on. I know. That was, that was great, to be honest. I loved it. We got NFL playoffs coming this weekend, wild card games. Uh, with the expansion, there's more games, more teams playing. So there's three games in the NFC, three games in the AFC. Starting with the NFC games, out of those three matchups, what QB matchup out of those games do you find to be the most intriguing going in? I know you're a Seahawks fan. Is it the, is it the Seahawks? It game? actually kind of is Brock Purdy versus Geno Smith yeah, to me. Like I can see that Cousins and Jones, like I, they kind of look like the same quarterback to me. Honestly, like mm-hmm. they're just carbon copies. Brady versus Prescott, they're both not playing really all that well, and their teams are kind of hitting a slump. Seattle wasn't supposed to be there. Right. Geno Smith was not supposed to do what he did this year. Like statistically, I was shell shocked. Like. And my my best friend David Driver would definitely, and my, my best friend Nick would say this. I was on Drew Locke's bandwagon. Really? I was. <laughs> we got Drew Locke. We're good. Don't give the controls to Gino. 
or go get Jimmy G or something. And then, you know, I started to watch Gino in the preseason. He looked good. You know, I was like, oh, you know, you can manage it. Locke got COVID. So it was like, okay. And they went with Gino and, you know, the first game versus Russell. And then all of a sudden he caught fire. And it was like, this guy can throw in this system. He can run this system. Like, he's actually got talent around him. And then, you know, you look back at his days with New York when he was to the Jets. He had nobody for him to throw the ball to. Like, it was a beaten down Jets team after those couple Rex Ryan years. He gets his jaw broken. He gets shipped out to the Giants. And then he starts to sit behind these veteran quarterbacks and learn. Behind an Eli, behind a Phillips, behind Russell. He finally gets his chance now. And the guy's seizing it. Like, you talk about seizing an opportunity when it presents itself and not letting it slip. That's what Gino did. Brock Purdy, he's Mr. Irrelevant. Like, you couldn't ask for a more interesting matchup that way. You got Mr. Irrelevant this year and a guy that's literally been irrelevant for 10 years. And they're both in a playoff game. I think that game will be interesting because, and as you know this as a coach, trying to beat a team three times in a season's hard. Because going into that as the team that's won two, what do we have to work on? Because we know our stuff works. But you know that other team knows all your stuff that works and is going to take that stuff away, but they're going to throw stuff at you that you haven't seen before. It kind of has, and not because I'm just a Seattle fan, I kind of have an inkling it could be a close game that Seattle squeaks out. And it could be interesting. New York, Minnesota, I think Minnesota wins that game. They're just more talented if they play in a one-score game. Yep. Dallas, Tampa Bay, I think Brady pulls it out. I think, I think Dallas so does their typical thing of, of choking. <laughs> Probably. So. Yeah, I'm with you there, Coach. I, I like some of the things you're talking about with Geno Smith. I've gone on record the last couple of weeks when we've been talking about uh, different quarterbacks and stuff that, you know, thinking back uh, on Geno Smith when he was at West Virginia – and I remember him being a pretty prolific passer for the college game of that time. So, you know, when, when people are so shocked and surprised that he's actually decent, I'm not really surprised. Um, I, I think maybe I took into account the fact that he was with the Jets and they were terrible and he was young and needed to learn. And you you uh, made a great point with sitting behind some veterans like Manning and, and uh, you know, learning and, and, you know, buying his time and that sort of thing. But but it's cool to see him have success. And yeah, I, I just, my memory goes back to West Virginia where he threw the piss out of the ball and, and they were real good. So I'm not surprised to see him be able to do that in the NFL. Well, and the interesting thing is when I talk to my younger quarterbacks, I now tell them, you're going to watch two quarterbacks that are fundamentally sound guys. You watch Geno Smith and Joe Burrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are the two guys I will tell them all the time. Those are the guys you want. If you want to learn how to keep a solid base and rotate and Look at them and look how accurate they are with the ball. Like this last game, Gino and that throw he made to lock it on the post between two guys. Like, how do you put that ball anymore in the spot? And like you said, yeah, he throws the piss out of the ball. Yeah, he does. He does. Okay, switching gears to the AFC. So we got three matchups in the AFC this weekend. Again, what QB matchup is most intriguing out of those three matchups for you? It's really hard, actually, in this one because I'd like to move some of the teams around to make a better matchup for myself. There's two. For me, it's either Buffalo-Miami or Chargers-Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Buffalo-Miami will be interesting if Tua plays. If he does play, then him versus Allen is an interesting because they kind of had the back and forth this year. Yeah. Um, Jacksonville and the Chargers, Herbert versus Lawrence. Kind of like the way Lawrence has been playing. Yeah. It really shows that Urban Myers screwed him up that first year terribly. Right. Like, you talk about, as we were talking about bad coaching hires, mm-hmm. maybe the worst coaching hire in the last 20 years in the NFL was Urban Meyer last Probably. year. Yeah. Um, 
I would love to see Jacksonville win that game. Like, you know, the Chargers, I think Staley, in my opinion, for the Chargers, I think he's kind of holding that team back in yeah. a way as a coach. Um, he's supposed to be this defensive guru. Their defense is so-so. They're not great, and they're not terrible. They've got pieces, Mac, Bosa, all those guys there. I like to see Jacksonville win. You know, it, it's kind of, I think, better for the league in a way. It builds that fan base a bit. I want to see Buffalo win. I've got a soft spot for Buffalo ever since, you know, last time we talked, Doug Flutie and Buffalo, Flutie yeah. Flakes. And then Baltimore, Cincinnati, I got to go with Joe Burrow. I think he right now is, honestly, I think Cincinnati's the scariest team in the AFC. Mm-hmm. They've shown they can beat Kansas City. I don't think it'd be a stretch to say they could beat Buffalo. Because the one thing that they do better than both of those two teams is they can turn around and run the ball on you with P. Ryan and Mixon. Cincinnati's definitely scary. Yeah, for me, out of those three games, I like the uh, Justin Herbert-Trevor uh, Lawrence matchup. I agree with you. Lawrence has been, you know, coming into his own, looking like kind of that guy that came out of Clemson and, and you know, obviously that that first year. And what pains me about the Urban Meyer thing is that I'm a Florida Gators fan. I, I guess last year wasn't my year for things happening because at the time I thought it was a good hire and uh, definitely proved me wrong in that area. But uh, one of the things that we all experienced last Monday night watching the Monday night football game, Coach, we see DeMar Hamlin go to make a routine tackle, gets hit in the chest, you know, goes to the ground, gets up, and then passes out on the field. Pretty traumatic situation. As I was watching it, it was sort of weird. I felt almost like instantly like this is this is so strange. Uh, you know, seeing the ambulance on the field, hearing the commentators talk about, uh, you know, him getting CPR a couple of times, but never saying whether he regained consciousness or what, you know, was he breathing on his own? I, we didn't really have any information. And then kind of what subsequently happened on the broadcast, everybody kind of just like sitting there. It was just a really strange situation. Obviously, in the moment, you feel for the player. You feel for his family and, and his life, right? Like, I, I know that I texted with some of my friends. I was like, did this guy die? Like, is he okay? Is he going to live? Like, it, it was pretty bad. But, I, I again, I don't know, maybe this is a little selfish as a football coach. I also looked at it and I was like, man, this is not good for football. Like, you know, we don't need situations like this to happen. And we all know we're always taking a risk. The players out there every day, something could happen. But it was pretty pretty traumatizing, I think, for the whole world of football, everybody involved. Um Good to kind of see the community all come to his aid and support him and, and be there for him. And obviously, we've gotten good news in the last couple of days and looking like he's he's going to be okay. What what were your thoughts on the whole thing and how did it affect you? Kind of the same way, Coach, honestly. Like, I was watching the game with my wife and we're sitting here, we're having dinner and the game's on. And when you see this play happen and it's just, it was so routine. It was bang, bang, all over the middle. Guy catches, turns up field, gets an extra few yards, hits. And then all of a sudden, he just, collapses and my wife looked at me and she goes did i just see it is he okay like what's wrong a concussion and i said i don't think so he got up and it he, his head didn't get hit like i said this is really strange and we're sitting there and and the ambulance comes on the field and when i saw josh allen's expression yes that's when it hit me that there is something seriously wrong here this isn't a broken leg this isn't a a, a concussion situation there is something that is vitally wrong here because he looked like someone had died. And then, you know, you see the ambulance, you, you, you hear, they go to the ESPN. And, you know, honestly, like I'll say this, I think that crew of ESPN and 
they handled that situation phenomenally. They did, yes. Um, Adam Schefter had his moments where it was kind of just odd, but Booger and Susie Colbert and that whole crew, Troy, Joe, like, yeah. you can't prepare for that. That is just unheard of. And, you know, I was sitting there with my wife and we were talking about it. And then, you know, you start seeing the updates come through in social media that this guy's had a heart attack on the field. He died on the field. They had to resuscitate him and use an AED. And part of my head, like I said, after, you know, we found out he'd gone to the hospital and all this kind of stuff and the game was canceled. And I sat there with my wife and I said, you know, that's really scary because I've been on a field. I know of guys that have gone through a similar situation in a training camp where the heat exhaustion got them and they collapsed. And mm-hmm. I've been in that situation, but to see it happen in that fashion was just shell shocking. And then I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I don't think this is going to be good for football. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be massive overreaction on this in a football sense. And people are going to be terrified to yeah. put their kids in football because it was a routine play. This We see this at Pop Warner all the way up to the, the pro level. Like, there was nothing unique about the play itself. And I said to her, I said, you know, does this change your opinion about putting our kids in, in football? And she said, no. She said, it's a routine thing. Like, you could walk across the street and trip and fall and have a heart attack. Like yeah. it, it was such a freak accident and freak situation. And I'm glad, like you said, that things have started to resolve and, you know, Hamlin's been able to go back to Buffalo and he's still getting treatment and stuff, but he's going to, he's on that right path and, you know, being able to communicate with his team. But yeah, no, it was, I was of the mindset, you know, depending on how he was doing this week, mm-hmm. do you even play games this weekend? Yeah. Like this past weekend it's not like a guy broke his leg. We're talking about a guy's life here was at stake. And all these players are so connected. Like you said, this whole community came together. It was the first, that was one thing I will say that was probably the best thing out of this that occurred was everybody got behind something. Yeah. Everybody was on the same page. There was no spats. There was no arguments this side, that side. Like there was none of that. Everybody was united about Damar Hamlet and, hoping DeMar Hamlin made a recovery. And that was the best thing I think came out of it. It showed a bit of humanity that was left in society still exists. And that was something that I actually felt really good about when this whole thing started to resolve itself. But yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a very interesting and shocking experience to say the least. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on too with, with the unity part, because in our society now we live in, a, it's always, you know, one side or the other, you're left or you're right, and there's no in between. And if you're on the left side, you hate the people on the right and vice versa. And, you know, I, I just can't, I can't get into that. Um, so it was nice to see the unity and, and, and see the humanity. Like you said, I think it's great stuff. You know, I'm looking forward to, to him making a, a, a full recovery. I honestly hope that next year he's able to play football again. Uh, I don't know how that'll unfold or if he'll want to play or not, but uh you know, like you said, it was a routine thing that just kind of bang, bang happened. Thank God for the quick response and, and the people that went got to his aid quickly. They did a hell of a job. And uh, yeah, it, it was a very scary situation. But in the end, there was a lot of good things that came from it. So, you know, pretty cool. Um, Coach, I, I want to thank you for being on tonight. It's been awesome to talk ball. We've, we've talked about a lot of different stuff, about quarterback training, about your team at Vancouver College. Uh, some NCAA and NFL stuff. So really great to talk about a lot of quarterback stuff. I love it. Appreciate you being on. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, Coach, it was great to come back on anytime. I'd love to be on this show. It's it's great, and it was a lot of fun. Well, I want to thank the 
people that are listening every week. My dad always reminds me to thank the uh, audience that's listening every week and supporting the podcast and it's growing every week. I'm going to make another BC tour and talk to the legend next week on the 50th episode, Mr. Jay Prepchuk. So looking forward to that. He's somebody that's a mentor for both me and you. So I'm looking forward to talking to Jay again. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for being on coach. Appreciate it. And you have a great night. You too. Thank you.